Hello everyone, welcome to the iSphere. Uh, I'm I. I'm Joy. And uh, today we're got, uh, we've got something new, to be honest. Um, we're going to be discussing uh, Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus 1, Hocus Pocus 2, and then having a wee bit of a discussion surrounding um, sequels and reboots and how... Uh, this kind of like modern Disney trend of doing all that stuff. Obviously, it's a wee bit different from uh, some of the like the hardcore reboots, like a live action, well, quote unquote live action uh, Lion King or Aladdin. Um, but it's still, in my opinion, very much a kind of sequel uh, aimed at that kind of nostalgia that people have for um, the older versions. Um, mm -hmm. So, Hocus Pocus, what well, came out in, was it 1993? 1993. Uh, so yeah. I was I was minus three years old at that point. Um, I'm I'm sorry, Joy, for mentioning that. Um, but <laughs> I, yeah, was I was six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was I was minus three. So I and you know it was the first time like for this podcast it was the first time I watched both films. But you, Joy, you've been watching this for ever. <laughs> Yeah, 20, 20, it's 29 years every Halloween. Much to my, First to my parents to spare, but then not so much my husband because he also loves it. So, um, But yeah, I've been watching it for a very long time. It's been a, a huge thing with my my friends, like with my in-group. Um, but yeah, it was... Um, I'm reading the comments. Hocus Pocus in 1903, saw it for the first time a few years ago. Yeah, it's... There's some people that have never seen it before. They, they've absorbed it through osmosis through the internet, but there's some <laughs> people who've never actually seen it. But um, if you grew up with it, it's got a very kind of still active fandom, I guess, that kind of spans through different generations. So it's kind of it's fun in a lot of online spaces to see how the fandoms evolved over the last few years. And it'll be interesting to see how Hocus Pocus Two affects it. Um, I was I was wondering that. So before we maybe like kind of outline the films, like. Was there a massive kind of like fans of the first film like really really demanding this kind of sequel? Or is it is it something that Disney have like identified as oh there's this has a great fan base around it? Well, we'll yeah. put together a sequel. There, there have been people looking for even just a direct to VHS. <laughs> That's how old the fandom is. Wanting a direct to VHS sequel for since the first one came out. Um, I had friends that were older than me who fully wanted a, a sequel and everything else when I was younger. Um, and then as I grew up, there was always a year, maybe this year we'll get a, a sequel, maybe this year, <laughs> maybe this year. And then it, then it kind of became a good thing, like, oh, well, maybe it's for the best that we're not getting a sequel because of how Disney was doing certain things. Um, so I think when it was announced that Hocus Pocus 2 was coming out, a lot of people were shocked. Because, you know, it's almost, you know, 30 years 30 years? 20 years? 30? How 20, 29 years. Since, 29 years. Which is like... That's a long time to yeah. wait for a sequel. That's like Good Omens level of fandom where the book was out for 30 years and then they made the TV show. You know, that's a long time to wait for something. Yeah. So um, I'd like to give a wee shout out to Hex. Hex has chipped into your mic fund, uh, Joy, uh, via, <laughs> via Ko-Fi. So, uh, Thank you. So it, so it begins. Um... But yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, obviously you've been steeped in Hocus Pocus and you've like watched it every year and it has become that thing. Um, it's and a cult it... classic in our house. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's on par with the Addams Family for us. Right. Um, which we watch the Addams Family religiously through Halloween season, but we also watch it at other times. But Hocus Pocus is one of those things where you know it's spooky season. 
because you've broken out Hocus Pocus. Right. Um, I mean, it's good to work. Yeah. Well-timed, because it's in October. Yeah. Now, so, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... Disney, so it's available on Disney Plus, uh, the second film. Now, I think both of them are probably on Disney Plus. Um, but it's now available on, on Disney Plus. I think it was released kind of start of October. It's, you know, a couple of days it ago. It was released um, Friday 30th. So it's literally just Friday yeah, so, it came out. Yeah, yeah. two days ago. Jeez. So um, already I feel like I've <laughs> I've brought up the, I've, <laughs> my, my level of Hocus Pocus knowledge has soared in the past well, today. 24 um, hours. <laughs> yeah, in the past 24 hours, I now know more about Hocus Pocus. Um, and kind of coming in um, coming in completely cold. Like, the first film was actually really enjoyable. Um, it's very... It's like it's very kind of off its time. It's very 90s. It's yeah. uh, campy. It's very nostalgia. It's nostalgia. It's good fun. Um so maybe we talk maybe we talk about that before we talk about the second one because the second one yeah, yeah. the time jump between the first and the second one is 29 years um both how long it took for the sequel to be made but also like the film 2 is 29 years later and mm-hmm. um and has all the changes associated with that so 1993 like no technology existed right there was like no phones there was no electricity there was nothing practically the dark ages there was there was no me so yeah complete dark ages um but yeah i suppose you do you want to give an overview of maybe the 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 plot of the first film Um, so the the plot of the first film starts with um uh emelina tom Tomkinson. They've got all these pilgrimy names and speak the and thou very badly. Um, small child gets snatched by the witches and the witches devour children's souls to stay young forever. That is basically the, the whole witches' shtick is that they are very evil, they eat children um, to stay young and beautiful which, you know, classic witch kind of um, villain story for Disney at that time. And they... Um, Thackeray Binks at the time as a boy tries to save them, fails, gets turned into a cat he is now immortal uh, they get hung, basically classic witch hanging in Salem and they curse the town of Salem so that um, when, if a virgin lights the black flame candle the um, they will be brought back from hell, basically, and they will come back to life for one night in which case they need to steal another child and take their soul, otherwise they will go back to being dead. That's basically your premise. Fast forward 300 years um, and you meet Max and his little sister who are straight from California and they hate moving to Salem because it's not as cool as California. And uh, Max is very obviously unhappy to be there. His sister's eight, so she doesn't really care. And they go trick-or-treating. Max meets the girl he has a crush on at school and they convince them to go to the Sanderson sister's house. Um, He's fooling around and he jokingly lights the, the black flame candle thinking nothing will happen. It resurrects the witches and because he's a calamity. massive virgin. He's a massive virgin. He's a you know, it's a thing that the movie will never let him forget. That he's in fact a virgin, and it's really funny because this film actually was one of the reasons why parents suddenly had to talk to their children about sex because yeah. everybody was like, "What's a virgin?" Yeah, um, and it was one of those. Uh, okay, well, I guess we have to address this now because <laughs> Disney put the word "virgin" in everyone's mouth. Um, yeah. and I mean. The virgin is used a lot for like good comic effect and yes. like throughout the entire film. It's just this boy is essentially getting called a virgin by fucking everyone, <laughs> his little sister included. 
His little sister's dialogue's weird. Some of the it's times. very weird. His little sister's weird. I mean, that we were watching it, um, and Mothman was kind of going. If my sister said to you, "My brother likes your tits," how would you react? And he'd be like, "I'd be really weirded out. Yeah. I would not laugh. I would be extremely uncomfortable." Um, yeah. But it was that kind of '90s insert director small child dialogue vomit out. It was very very mm. weird. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of interesting that the, um, just reading Hex's comment, it's always a focus on the girl's virginity. Mm. It was kind of nice that they made it a guy. Um, because a lot of the media based around witchcraft at the time was, you know, you had the, kind fresh of the virginal, virgin, yeah, the flesh, yeah. yeah, flesh-blooded female girl getting like her virginity and taken by evil and all these sort of things. So it was a kind of a fresh take for the 90s, although now we would still probably cringe pretty hard at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a it's a weird one. So they go through the whole motions of trying to defeat the sisters, um, and in the end, it's the power of um, love and family that defeats them because Max tries to sacrifice himself to save his sister from having her soul being eaten. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was a fun one. It was it was a fun, campy, very kind of you know over the top. You have this Bette Midler character who's known for singing and she's getting to be very vampy and very kind of fun and just yeah. absolutely just having a blast being evil. Like it's yeah. some of the some of the best dialogue I feel like comes from Hocus Pocus one. And you get that kind of we haven't really seen Disney female villains like that since the nineties. Because now yeah. we're in the era of making the villains understandable, which is also something we will talk about in Hocus Pocus too, because yes, they got the same treatment. <laughs> yeah. Um fuck. But no, I think it was is fun like the reason why the film is so fun to watch, and again I'm coming at this completely fresh having watched it this morning. Um it was it was fun because like the villain just like the villains just get to be bad. Like they get to yeah. be that kind of um outrageously evil. Uh, to the point where it's almost kind of fun to to watch and enjoy. Like, I mean, because at the end of the day, they are literally consuming children's souls. Um, you know, they, they are murdering kids. And, like, it's... I think in, in contrast to what we'll go on to talk about in regards to the approach to villains in, in Disney films, at least now, is it's just fun seeing a baddie be a baddie. And yeah. Um, there you go, Bette Midler, Baddie, Eye for Midler. Scotland, twenty twenty two. She did it so well too, like she was fully immersed in just being the baddest witch she could be. It was it was very fun. It was very um, like the Wicked Witch of the West type thing. It was that kind of very camp over the top performance, yeah. um, and it, it was fantastic. I mean, she, they must have had so much fun with it back in the day, and you can see them having fun with it in Hocus Pocus too. Like the the best thing about Hocus Pocus too is how much fun the original cast is having with reviving these characters. Yeah, um, and I, like, yeah, yeah, I think is well, we'll probably start to introduce some Hocus Pocus two stuff now, just so we can actually talk about it um but yeah like I, I very much enjoyed hocus pocus one i can see why it became the kind of cult film that it did and i think one of the things that's quite interesting me and joy were talking about this uh, prior to the stream but we were saying that the like 
the way that the 1993 film kind of captures that era like of like nostalgia is ve- it's a very nostalgic watch um that i think a lot of the newer stuff struggles to capture in terms of like the classroom yeah because like uh, there's a lots of modern representations of the classroom that i think obviously a lot of the um media that i grew grew up with um that always depicted the kind of american classroom and the dynamics of you know uh, people chatting in the classroom there, there is something extremely nostalgic about it even though i have no nostalgia for the film itself it kind of mm-hmm. still captures that kind of 90s nostalgia which again i'm a kind of late, later 90s like baby effectively so i didn't know fuck all until i was about four and by that time it was you know 2000s yo mm-hmm. um <laughs> but it was uh, it, it, it was it was a very enjoyable film it's like it's easy to see how that becomes like a comfort watch at this time of year as well it had all the kind of like I, I don't know if my opinion has just been because I've seen stuff online about it that my mind's naturally making the connection of course this is a culty film but like watching mm-hmm. it it did feel like quite a like a cosy Halloween watch um, which I don't think the sequel manages to capture funnily enough um and maybe we can yeah it's the difference between a disney movie and a disney movie channel um or disney channel movie it's that it's that subtle difference between a full disney movie and the disney channel where there's a model at the end which is what this has but it's also suffering a little bit from the the girl bossification of disney villains at the minute which is a thing we will get into um, but it's it's that kind of the it was at a peak time for the, in the nineties and the eighties and nineties was like the peak time for a lot of creepy media. Mm. There's been a lot of fantastic things that have you know if you tried to like even with the Adams family. Although I enjoy the new Adams family content, I don't think it captures the actual spirit of the original content in the way that the nineties stuff did. I think in the nineties it was a very um, I think they could get away with certain things that I think they would now be scared of doing because I think they're afraid of being problematic with certain things. Like, I don't think anyone would try to do... Just thinking again of the Adams Family, I don't think you would get anyone making Morticia and Gomez as horny for each other as they were Mm. in in the 90s films. Um, I don't think they would get away with that now because they'd be worried about it coming off as over the top or, like, not suitable for children. Whereas the Adams Families were PG-13, like, you could watch with an adult. Um, but yeah, it's that kind of. Um, it's it feels a little bit sanitized. It feels as if they've tried to make the they've tried to sanitize certain things for commercial value, which I think is where it falls down. Because the original Hocus Pocus, there was very little merchandise. There's mm. there, there did not seem to be plans to merchandise Hocus Pocus. Um, whereas this one is definitely getting merchandised. Like you know, you can, I've already seen the merchandise. Um, rolling yeah. out for it and I'm going there was not no official merchandise until I think at least 2010 that I could find in the UK when I was you know when I was even as an adult like I, I go into the Disney store looking for stuff from like my my friend's kids I, you'd never see it it's very it's a very very recent thing where they actually merchandised Hocus Pocus officially um so we're yeah, just it's... saying in chat it's a whole write-up on that kind of camp and silly fun of tv and movies dying with 9-11 yeah, um, it did. I, yeah, I can I can see that. Um, especially like your kind of earlier like two thousand stuff has very like a a much more sanitized kind of 
approach to things. Yeah. Thank you. And I like Hex's point. It's weird how we live in an era that is more sexualized but also very sanitized. Um, it is. It's a weirdly. Se- it sounds weird to say it's a sexually sanitized media, but a lot of the stuff that we consume is. Everybody is conventionally. It's, it wasn't it every, everyone's everyone's beautiful, but nobody's horny. That was it. Yeah. Is it not everybody's that beautiful, but nobody's sexy. That's what it is. Everyone, ah, everyone yeah. is a is a very very pretty, very very perfect. But there's no chemistry. Cool. You know. By the way, I'm going to eat. To... Sorry, I'm hungry. Go right ahead. Yeah. Um... <laughs> we're now we're now reading into the mukbang part of the podcast but yeah. um yeah it's it's the um it is a lot of it's to do with commercialization and i do like how in hocus pocus 2 they are self-aware of that because that is a huge part of the second book is that it is commercialized it's no mm-hmm. longer just the occasional oh it's the book tour but everything you know you go into the sand in the first book it's implied that it's a museum but it looks very neglected and very run down it's not in remotely like encouraged or you know people you know you probably get dragged there with school yeah um, yeah whereas but it's like the second one it is a, a full-on shop. <laughs> shop it's an experience it's like go- it's like going to the harry potter world everything is very mm. sanitized everything is very aesthetically pleasing to look at Everything looks very mystic, um, which I also have views on as well because I think there was a. I read an article about it, and it it was apparently Hocus Pocus Two was very informed by witch talk, uh, which if you follow my blog, you will know I am not a fan of the pagan stuff that's on a lot of TikTok because a lot of it is just commercialized capitalistic spiritualism, which I am not a huge fan of. Um, by crystals and stuff like that. Yeah, but crystals. I mean, it was a thing when I was younger as well. You had a lot of, we called them plagans. It was people playing at spirituality. See if I can say this word. Spirituality. And um, it was a very kind of like, oh, if you have the, the nicest athene, you have the nicest cauldron, obviously you were taking the craft more seriously, whereas that has nothing to do with how paganism or witchcraft works at all. Um, and it's interesting to see this shift towards the more commercialised um, aspect of it. And I think the Hoax Post film, when it touches on it, it is very oh look, you can literally see Disney merch in the background. It, the, the witch's house literally looks like you're walking into a, a witchcraft themed Disney store. Um, which, you know, I would, when I was younger, I would have loved that. I would have been, if I was a child, that would have been I would have lived there. You would not have been able to get me out. Um, but it's the it's very interesting to see how they're it's like, kind of like a nudge nudge wink wink towards how capitalistic it is whereas the first film mm. did not have that you had your product you had your blatant product placement like there's a, a, literally a thing where you just see cans of pepsi in the i think it's pepsi you see a pepsi or seven up just in like the home and you'll occasionally occasionally see like advertising through it but it wasn't like the buy disney sort of stuff that you're now seeing yeah yes gamer jam what's your question Sorry, I've got another one. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll eat that in a second. But no, I think it it does become really really obvious in the second film, and I don't I don't know if there is this kind of interesting comparison between like a sequel being produced for, um, like a cult film that's twenty nine years old, and the like the over commercialization in the film, um were like we're kind of in that it's it's weird because it's like the film isn't the film isn't trying to make a commentary on 
perhaps Disney's over commercialization. Like I, I don't I didn't I didn't get that feeling, but at the mm-hmm. same time I feel like it's kind of doing it anyway. Cause like I suppose we can kind of walk through your like a you know, we'll touch on bits. We we don't want to give too many spoilers away for the second film because it is two days old. It is so brand new, um, yeah. But like the yeah, the so the house that the that the witches have kind of, you know, used as their base has gone through the iterations. First film was that museum. Second film becomes this like gift shop that's run by um a guy who's absolutely obsessed with the story. And what a uh, yeah, so like that that whole piece is like absolutely obsessed. He's got the um He's got the the witch's spell book in in a cabinet. He doesn't know if it's the kind of real one. He just kind of assumes it is, and it does turn out to be the real one. But you know, is there's there's um, a cauldron filled with stuffed cats from like the you know like plushy cats mm-hmm. from like the first film. There's um you know there's there's a the books so like you know there's copies and like replicas of of the spell book that's available on sale um you know there's potions there's there's all that kind of stuff and it i think i don't know like for for me it's interesting it's just an interesting parallel between kind of over commercialization of that um and obviously pushing for a sequel now i wouldn't say that the sequels are bad film i feel like that's maybe a bit too harsh and i I don't think it i think it's too harsh to maybe describe as a cash grab but it's extremely weak in key areas and like i feel because they're trying to make a film that's 29 years after the original they they have this problem where the spotlight is on the original cast to Mm -hmm. to the point where they're introducing lots of new characters um, you know the the children from the the first film aren't in the in the second one because obviously they would have grown up and and left. But like, there's no like they're they're completely fresh faced and they're all kind of forgettable. They're like completely, you know, I I don't remember a single one of their names bar one, and it's like the most basic name. Is <laughs> like there's one there's one kid called Becca, and I don't know mm-hmm. any of the other ones. Um. In fairness, I did kind of speed run watch it, but like none of the newer characters stand out to the same extent that the older ones did, because the sequel has to straddle the maybe introducing new people in a modern audience to it, mm-hmm. as well as making sure that there's enough reference to the old cast and like the old plot, and there's lots of wee references in there that you know people who are big fans or people who've watched the the first one will kind of nod and go oh yeah that's you know that's good that's a nice nod mm-hmm. but for newer people there's like there's no padding given to any of the other characters in the story in regards to you know even just wee side character things there's like there's nothing that makes them yeah. 3D there's they're very much like they're just there um, and they're there. There is no to interact. For why you should like any yeah. of the people? Yeah, that is the- my as a writer. That is my issue with it. There is no even thirty seconds of explanation for something. You just immediately you are thrown in, and you get the oh, there's conflict between these friends. You cool, get, yeah. but <laughs> why? 
you know you don't you know it's 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 something that you that should have been I feel like some of the development should have been done differently. I feel like they were so eager to start get, to get you know the original cast back in that they skipped over a lot of things and a lot of things were done out of order. And it's a thing I've noticed a lot with a, a lot of more of Disney stuff of late. It feels as if the storyboarding has been rearranged and chopped so much that it is no longer in the correct order. And mm. there's just not enough depth given to it. Because even with the 90s one, you do get a very abrupt intro to things Mm -hmm. um but you do get an immediate sense of oh this is this character's personality whereas i don't think you get any of the girl's personality you could literally swap any of the three girls for each other and you would not know you know there's no oh this is the sassy one or oh this is the the you know the 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 temper tantrum one they gave us more intro they gave us more character for the sanderson sisters that we did not need because we know who they are yeah um and I will say that the children that did the, the, the Sanderson sisters as children, they were fantastic at mirroring their adult counterparts. I thought they yeah. did a really good job of it. I mean, if you've never seen a, you know, a teenager mimicking Bette Midler, it is fantastic. It was a really, really good you know, character that they did. But then the, the, the actual girls, the heroes, don't get the same treatment. And I was going, that's a weird choice. And I think um, like they they do try and like they try and parallel that first one where you do get an opening in Salem three hundred years ago or well three hundred twenty nine years ago or however yeah. yeah a lot longer but the film starts kind of cold opening with them as kids and I suppose this is where we can maybe start like talking about the kind of girl bossification aspect yeah. of it but. And just the general push to try and make the witches a bit more sympathetic. And I feel like that's something that the the original never had to try and do. They were just evil. Um, But instead you have um, the main witch, uh, Winnie, as an eight-year-old. or I don't know how fucking old she's Winnie's 16. In the the opening. I thought she was supposed to be sixteen because they're talking about marrying her off, and she's. The, oh, she's right. I thought found, I thought back been, then they wouldn't have cared about that. No, she, she's been found. <laughs> uh, she was caught. Um, they talk about how she was um, caught smooching Billy. Yeah. Who ends up being the zombie. It was a whole like her whole arc starts with she's being forced into marriage because both of her parents are dead. She's take this sixteen year old girl is taking care of Mary and um, Sarah, right. and. The, the the reverend is trying to take the girls away because she should get married and she should do like they're basically trying to split the sisters up is the whole the driving force for the for them to become evil is the town trying to split them up so they run into the magic woods and they meet a witch and gets, I, I took yeah I, I she's she's not mentioned in the first film that witch is she no like, it annoys the shit out of me because the 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 book the, you know the the book with the eye and everything else it's supposed to have come directly from satan it was supposed to come from the pact that the sisters made with satan hmm. to get their powers and now it comes from some girl boss witch in the forest who's telling them don't ever let you know the patriarchy separate you from your sisters and i'm going oh we're doing this oh <laughs> It was if I just left it as they made a choice to be evil because that's more fun. Was there not? A, there's like there's a section as like as well where she's like, um, "Oh, you've got a you've got a mean temper. I like that in a in a girl." Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just very like okay. Um, which I th- which I think is a direct response to Disney being told for decades that their hero, their their you know their their princesses and their female heroines 
had no personality beyond being noble. So I think it's their response mm-hmm. to a lot of their villains is, well, no, look, the villains have these character traits that you wanted and going, that's not better. <laughs> you yeah. want the hero to have some of those traits. You want the hero to be more relatable, not the villain. Yeah. But, um, and it, and it, that just kind of takes away the, the villain. Like It's almost like trying to make a sympathetic villain um, without understanding why people want that. Because the sympathetic villain works in certain formats. It does not work for Cruella de Vil. I don't think it works for Hocus Pocus. It made, it was a nice campy movie, but I think it, it took away a lot from the original. Um, if you now consider Hocus Pocus 2 to be canon, I think the Winifred sisters are now made weaker in the first mm. one because they lose some of their f- the funness of it. Sometimes people are just evil. Sometimes people just make bad choices because it's they want power. What is wrong with that? With just yeah. having people do that? It's almost as if they're going, well, no, pe- people understand. People do bad things for understandable reasons. Yeah, some of them do. Some of them just choose to be evil. <laughs> some people like... are bastards. <laughs> yeah. They, um, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I definitely see I haven't watched them back, basically back to back um, and not having the kind of build up of watching Nogus Pocus ages ago. Mm-hmm. It's. I feel like Hocus Pocus 2 kind of undoes some of the characterization from the first one um, in regards to the witches. Like, the witches do feel, like, a little bit weaker. Like, don't get me wrong, they still are, like, fun. But, I I, I don't know, it just, like, the the origin story at the start adds this weird dimension where you've now seen them as kids, you know, like, almost being ripped away from each other. Like just having that, even in the back of your mind, kind of goes, "Hmm, there's a bit more to this." And that, like, mm-hmm. that does they continue. Could have done that. They, they they still could have done it, but they could have done it better. Yeah, but, and to be, I mean, yeah. Again, I don't want to jump immediately to the to the ending, but like the ending of Hocus Pocus Two is pretty unsatisfying. Um, yeah, just because they have to. They have to make it a positive ending based on the origin story of the witches. Like they've got to make it a like a sisters together forever kind of thing. Yeah. Um which again first, works the first in some film was very viscerally satisfying to watch them get turned to dust. Yeah. Because you hated them and you wanted to see them get dusted. And this film tries to make it so that you'll be sad that they're gone. I'm going, that's not the point of the Sanderson sisters. We don't want the Sanderson sisters to be sympathetic. We want them to be villains. And we want to rejoice when they get dusted. Even if it's like a Scooby-Doo type thing, like, you know, that kind of campy 90s cartoony thing where they get dusted every week in a different style. I That is the reason you want to see them get dusted. It's not yeah. because you sympathise with them. It's because they are the villain. I was going to say, it's a, it's a bold move bringing up Scooby-Doo in this chat again. <laughs> um, no, but I, I, like, I think one of the... One of the things I have is the way Disney sometimes does kind of like modern stuff with like modern characters that use iPhones and take selfies um, is that they tend to have this thing where like all of the all of the teenagers in the film are almost too smart. Um, mm. uh, so, uh, like 
to the point where none of the main characters ever feel like they're under any threat in the film at all. Whereas you literally saw in the first film, this little eight year old girl get like held by a witch and, you know, like very much in the clutches of the witches could potentially die. I, I didn't get that sense. There was, there was no stakes cause there was no age gap between any of the characters um, as well. Cause it is, yeah. it is three, it's three friends who are all in the same class. Um, but like you, they're they're outwitting the witches with salt within the first like twenty minutes of meeting them. There's mm-hmm. because the, the three, well, the two, two at the beginning, three a wee bit later on. But like the two girls are very much into you know kind of witch talk. I suppose would be the, mm-hmm. the way they're very much into that. So they already know all of the like all of the, the things. The basic spellcrafting. Yeah. Ah, yeah, they they know the basics. They know how to repel dark energy and like I don't know, it just it comes across as a wee bit like, okay, so you've you've wanted to bring them back, you want to have it modern, and like I know that it's probably a you know, the the internet's a thing now, so everyone know like every everyone knows everything. Um but it is a it is a wee bit annoying. There is, however, one point in the film where the protagonists have had a spell cast on them that makes it difficult for them to um, be heard or be seen to the to the outside world. And they try and phone a friend and they FaceTime, and the FaceTime's mm-hmm. all blanked, and um, the the lassie can't hear uh, hear them down the phone either. And I was just thinking, why don't they text? I was screaming that the whole time. I was like. Why? Why don't you? Why don't you text? Like so, you know they're. Oh, why? Why won't you answer me? Why won't you answer me? Oh, this is a butt dial because I can't hear them. Ha ha ha! It's like just text. I I don't I don't know many teenagers who would immediately go on the phone. <laughs> let alone FaceTime. Well, yeah, um, let alone FaceTime. I mean, maybe maybe this is maybe this is us showing our age, but I, I genuinely they were like, oh, I can't get her to pick up the phone. I'm going, what teenager answers the phone? Text them. Next yeah. up, like, I'm streaming it, and you know, Mothman's like, we were in bed watching, it and he's just lying there going, "Please stop yelling! They can't hear you." Like, he, was just like, <laughs> he was also laughing. He was just like, he's like, "Yeah, text them. That makes no sense. Why wouldn't you text them?" Um, but, yeah. Anyway, that's but, that's just my my view on like how Disney kind of portrays its more modern teenage protagonists is like they're. Like I, I don't want to pull it in and like that. I'm not saying Mary Sue or anything like that, but it's just like they're they're slightly too knowledgeable to the point where they never actually discover much throughout the film, um, because they already kind of know it in the back of their mm-hmm. back of their head. Um, so yeah, it's uh, there's it, no growth arc. For yeah, for the protagonist, yeah. Which for oh. that type of media, for the people, for the generations aimed at, you know, for young young adult fiction and even younger the growth arc is a fundamental beat that is being missed in a lot of these stories because they're not letting the hero be vulnerable so it's we have from international difficulties sorry um, Joe, I think something may be going on with discord because you are crashing well, a belter oh no <laughs> it's, a, it's a remix you've been you've been cast <laughs> No. Right. We'll have to wait for you to. Have you 
turn your uh, camera on and off. Maybe that'll inject it. Disney's found us and they don't want us uh, Disney's talking about Disney's found us. We're being cut off. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of texting, uh, Joy, do you maybe want to uh, hang restart up and the call. Yeah, restart the call? Hey, look, it's me. Um... <laughs> Uh, the problem of trying to do a podcast over international waters. There we go. You're um, still very uh, actively sounding. Oh God! Right. Okay. I'm. I'm. I'm all good. Don't know what the deal is, but uh, we'll we'll kill the call and then we'll I'll call you back. Yeah, we'll kill it and start. <laughs> We've managed to curse the technology. Excellent. Joy and Joy banished to the autumn realm. Uh, right, so that's start the video call with Joy and pop that out. I was going to say, Joy, you can't leave right now. I can't talk about Hocus Pocus by myself. <laughs> I'm back. I'm okay, back. yeah, you know, it looks like you're back. Uh, Joy, Joy's internet got possessed. <laughs> <laughs> um, very funny how you're talking about the spell in the FaceTime scene. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that was... That was Excellent timing. You know what comedy's all about. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, sorry, Joy. What were you saying before we were rudely interrupted by the internet? The internet. The, I was saying the thing that is missing in a lot of these Disney arcs is the growth arc, where the individuals get to go through actual personal growth and not just interrelationship growth. Mm. Um, but that is a huge thing with young adult and younger is that. It, part of the, the curve is that the person learns more about themselves and yeah. not just how to communicate with people, whereas they've made the main a lot of the main focus on things has been learning to communicate with others and to respect others, which is great but they're neglecting the personal growth arc. It's always yeah. about you know, it's a very sanitised version of, oh I'm sorry I didn't respect your feelings and now we are best friends again it's that kind of thing where it can be done very well but the thing that made a lot of the original Disney stuff good was the person goes through weakness and then triumphs. The 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 modern Disney heroes are never allowed to be weak. Um, yeah. They're allowed think... to have moments moments of weakness, but they're never allowed to be like, Max is fairly shitty to his sister at the start and his sister's a real brat. And you get to see them overcoming those personal flaws to work together. Yeah. Um, Which is the, I suppose, yeah. again, a mutual like growth side of things. But at the same time, you've got like... Max is extremely skeptical about the whole Halloween thing and ghosts in yeah. Salem, and like his his obviously personal growth is actually not just realizing that you know the witches exist, but also like how to actually combat them and interact with that world. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's weird how you can you know you can look at the original and you can see the kind of where the the sequel went wrong is that you've got. Yeah, I mean, uh, and they even had a character that they could have done for that. They could have used mm -hmm. um, the the girl's boyfriend, Mike, his oh, name, whatever it is. Fuck. He would have been perfect for that. Yeah. Um, what was her name? Sorry, I'm looking it, them up right now. Cassie's it, boyfriend, Mike, would have been the perfect skeptic to get pulled into that. And that's what I thought the story was going. I was like, oh, yeah, they're doing a Max. They're pulling in the, the classic boy character who's a non-believer. He gets barely... Any dialogue after get, that, and he's just used for comic effect. After yeah, that. he's he's barely any dialogue, but they also like they they don't do anything with him. He's like yeah, they they don't want stick. to they don't want to like himbify him. They don't want to um 
like they don't want to make him the school bully or the like the kind of classic jock character. They just make him a fucking dumbass. But like, mm-hmm. like there's there's one point during the film that's the kind of the big realization where the friends kind of get back to together, and there's a section in it where the it's like, oh, well, we didn't want to hang around with you because you were with your boyfriend all the time and all your boyfriend does is make fun of us. And, mm-hmm. like, the, the the boyfriend took like took issue with it and was like, I, I, don't, I don't make fun of you. What are you talking about? And it's like, all you do is say that everything that you like is, is everything that we like is really weird. And all you do is call our hobbies weird. And you find us weird. <laughs> Why? And he's like, yeah, that's not a problem, and they they had to explain to him why calling people weird was a problem. Yeah, um, is, but it, yeah, it, it was a weird, yeah. very weak sort of, you know, it was an unproblematic male character, is what I call them when I see them. It's yeah. the kind of person who doesn't realize they're doing wrong. And to be honest, I, there was a part where he was having that moment, and I was like, oh, bless him, he is that sort of person. But we had no reason for him to have that moment of growth because he's not a main character who we have been engaging with. They yep. give they gave him more of a moment of oh shit I've been a dumbass for a, you know for a side character that should have belonged <laughs> to one of the main characters that moment of growth again yeah. this is where I take issue with they, they missed various narrative beats that I'm going you are Disney you should know how to do this but if, if you know. Looking at Star Wars, they have completely thrown out how to do any sort of storyboarding that makes sense. Mm. Um, and it's a problem I've been seeing with a lot of their stuff recently. They are missing vital beats. And I, I don't know if it's because they're trying to be edgy or if they're just not paying their writers enough. Um, but, you know, you look at it and you're going, this is amateur mistakes. This is the sort of thing you'd ex- you'd be expecting to see um, people who've never had an editor make these mistakes. Um it annoys the hell out of me because if I if we did that if I if I did that with a lot of my my indie stuff I would be getting lambasted in the reviews about pacing and missed narrative beats and duff characterization. I'm going Disney's getting away with it because it's Disney. Yeah. Um and I mean I think that you know if looking at the way that again it may be overly cynical but I think that there's definitely a, a phoned in aspect of this I, again I, I'm hesitant to say useless cash grab because I think for the original cast and the original cast embodying the characters they have mm-hmm. a lot of fun with it and it's really clear throughout the film like there is some pretty good like pretty good bits that like are new but also pay a little bit of homage to the first one that, like the broomstick bit that was quite funny um, but at the same time, I feel like it's it's very very bare bones. Like mm-hmm. just enough attention was given to the original cast, and they phoned in absolutely everything else. Um, and I think Mothman's making a really good point in chat that you know a lot of the time, particularly with Disney, you see it with video games and everything. The marketing team can really get ahead of themselves in in a lot of this stuff because obviously it's quite easy to enjoy the frenzy and the hype of like social media i mean imagine imagine being the marketing team when they announced hocus pocus 2 was a thing like yeah you know that's it's fucking easy likes and Gar- retweets and great metrics yeah. and yeah it's like it's all it's all good but um yeah there's there's this kind of fine fine line and i feel like uh, i feel like it's hard 
it's hard for marketing teams to keep a lid on hype sometimes uh, to the point where it becomes like a kind of oversell or eventually mm-hmm. and of course obviously because discourse starts really early you also get a lot of like fan input as well which i'm not sure that, like again this is like total speculation i'm not saying that it's happened in the case of hocus Pocus too but like if you have a massive amount of people all kind of speculating on what the plot might be or stuff like that and you're working on that it's probably quite hard to avoid it um but yeah that's yeah I mean, it's, it's one of those i i genuinely miss the days where you didn't know something was being made until it was a, the pre-order was announced mm. for a lot of things. Um, it, it's a thing I've noticed a lot with fiction. You will literally see authors, I've seen it at least in some romance circles, where someone announces a project they're doing and someone goes, well, this element's problematic. And then the person ends up rewriting their whole story yeah. because of those comments. I'm going, well, you, how would you know it's problematic? Because you don't know how it's going to be handled. Yeah. This is the, you know, it, it, you can say, well, yes, there are certain things that are inherently problematic, but someone on Twitter can easily tank someone else's entire creative thing by going, oh, well, you shouldn't be talking about this. I'm going, well, you don't know how they're going to talk about it. And yeah. that's a big thing. Um, I've literally, there was a, I, I'm not going to name her, but there was a romance author who got panned for, and rightfully so, it was, you know, after her, arcs got sent out which an arc is an advanced review copy um and it basically got sent out to the the you know publishers send them out sometimes to be like oh let's get some reviews in and the reviews that were coming in were horrific mm-hmm. and it was to do with that you know an element of race that got missed and it was basically the problem that had happened was there was no sensitivity reader on hire because they have swapped sensitivity reading for marketing readers and also the the most recent thing that I've called is they read them for problematic elements and they don't actually do any in-depth sensitivity reads so you'll get very very surface level pandering to things you don't get any nuance with things um again thinking of you know there's been a lot of stuff um, in the disability romance spheres where you have these people going well I write disability you know romance and you read it and it's a very surface level yeah, the person has a thing, but it's never looked into properly because the person's afraid of doing something problematic. Well, if you hire sensitivity readers, you can tackle it, but mm. you shouldn't be doing that after the book's been announced. Those things happen before you get your marketing out there because what happens if they do turn around and say, well, actually, this entire thing needs to be reworked? Well, then you don't have time for it because you've already got your dates up, you've already got all the marketing done, and you can't change this thing. And it, it bothers me that the sensitivity reads are happening usually after marketing and promo has been done. Um, and I mm. think you're, we're seeing that with a lot of films as well. They're not doing the research until they get marketing feedback. And that's the wrong way to be doing it. Yeah, um, I mean, I can't can't speak entirely for film or publishing, but like I know from like a, a game's perspective, and like maybe a good example of this is Cyberpunk 2077. But like yeah. the the marketing always starts super early for these projects because they need to get investors on board. They need to get the money people on board. So like basically we're talking about capitalism. Um, you know, who would, who would have fucking thought on an iSphere podcast? Um, but yeah, like I think that does come into it quite a lot where like the marketing ends up 
being the tool and engagement numbers on the marketing end up being the tool to get investors on board. Um, like, you know, oh, we, you know, this, look at, look at how massive our Twitter's got, or look at how, you know, look at the, the feedback we got from fans on this and just being able to show that to um, the people who are going to put the money in um, is, you know, is, is powerful. So like, it's because investors obviously mm-hmm. want to m- minimize as much risk as possible. They want to make sure it's a sure thing prior to actually being a thing that can be called a sure thing because otherwise it's not going to get funded um and the the development won't be funded which is you know obviously extremely frustrating for you know lots of industries um but is also just the nature of people effectively sitting on wealth until they know that they'll make more money off of it um and i think you know obviously there's People always talk about like innovation and things like that. But like real innovation comes from, you know, actually giving things a go. It's the same reason why we do like clinical trials, for example. You know, mm-hmm. clinical trials might amount to fuck all, but the one clinical trial that does amount to fuck all and actually gets like, sorry, it does amount to fuck um, ends up getting, you know, a breakthrough in treatment for for whatever it's why we mm-hmm. why we run things like that and you never see that approach with kind of like consumer entertainment media because people want an absolute cast iron guarantee that they're going to earn money off it um and yeah it's unfortunately is, it, it then yeah. leads to when marketing gets that budget um they can then go out even further and they end up getting caught up in the kind of crowd of Oh, I can't wait. Can we, will it do that? Oh, yeah, of course it'll do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is know. interesting. I was actually reading um, Terry Pratchett's autobiography actually published this week. And uh, if any Discord fans, if you are getting ready to read it, be prepared to solve it inconsolably. But there was a thing that I found really interesting with Terry was he was getting offered in publishing back in the day if you were getting offered, you know, um, 30 grand back in the day for an advance that was big money and then the bigger he got they were offering him 100 grand 200 grand 300 grand and he actually started saying nope i'm not doing it for that i want he used to send his agent back to um random house publishing and go you're offering him too much money scale it back because they were putting so they were giving him so much money that he worried that he would not be able to live up to the hype Mm. and he didn't want to be beholden to them for oh well you didn't sell x amount of books therefore you are you know you're no longer the big seller we thought you were and he's going well no this is you this is not my problem with me people are still reading my stuff it's that you are making my buyout higher and higher and higher therefore i ha- there's more pressure for me to earn there's more pressure for marketing and he was going mm. that's not what i'm doing i am a writer I don't want to have to do marketing. I don't want to be have to, you know, he says, worrying about sales happens after the book is made. If you are paying me these huge sums of money in advance, I'm going to be worrying that I'm not making something good enough because how come my book that um, sold a million copies, you the first one you gave me for, you only paid me 75,000 and now you're saying, well, this one has to, how much, how much does this next book have to sell to make up for the fact that you just paid me 230,000 for a book? You yeah. know, and he he actively was like, nope, not doing it. Um, yeah. It was a whole thing. It was a whole like his Rob Wilkins who runs his estate was like he sent his agent back to them saying, offer me less money because this is not a sustainable practice. This is and it's the issue that publishing now has. 
you know, publishers pay huge amounts of money um, <laughs> to authors, hoping that they will get their money back. As we've talked about in other podcasts, some of these big name authors that they're promoting are selling less than a dozen copies. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's know, funny. I actually, it's, I, I now I now do have a, a example for publishing. But what you were, what you've talked about in previous podcasts in regards to um, going to a traditional publisher and the ask for your personal social media following is mm-hmm. that same equivalent of investor buy-in. Um, it is. It's it's a, oh like you know we want to make sure that you've already got a pre-existing audience that you can flog your book to and they'll all, they'll buy it because you're already in that that bubble um mm-hmm. so yeah no it's uh there, there is a comparison again don't know enough about the film industry but i imagine to there must be some proof when pitching a film like you need to you need to be able to like go and uh i don't know off, offer it around the houses and see who, if there's any takers um yeah, it's it's very kind of it's discouraging as a creative person in in my own industry. It's very discouraging to see, you know, again if you're not continually outdoing yourself, things aren't just allowed to exist. Mm. Everything's got to be the next billion dollar earner for it to be successful. And I'm going the fact that it even got made is successful. Yeah. The fact that, that a piece of media exists is a form of success because of the amount of work that goes into it. Why can we not value the work for what it is? Why does it have to be this? And the answer is basically capitalism. <laughs> capitalism, <laughs> baby. Um, yeah, I mean that's like from a again from like a game marketing side of things. Um, it's interesting uh, doing a wee bit of research into, it and it's like. Um, what's counted as an industry success and what isn't and a lot of the times you get you you get people with different views but um there is often this like you know the the gold standard is like this amount of of sales of your product which mm-hmm. you know for obviously it differs if you're a solo if you're a solo developer and you put out a game and it sells and you get i don't know 20 grand from it that's a reasonable success based on the time and energy you put into it um that 20 grand for a for a 30 person team who's uh who've been working on a game for three years probably not as as good but you're still seeing this kind of like um really really big focus on like the kind of basic kpis and metrics of like you know how like how much did you do on steam oh there's a holly mop um We've got to put on this show now. <laughs> Come on, you've got... <laughs> oh, stolen. Here we go. Take a shot every time capitalism is mentioned on the iSphere. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I think it's, it's definitely a, a thing that it's like capitalism in general does have this impact on marketing. Marketing then impacts the story and now we can get back to talking about <laughs> Hocus Pocus. That was a tangent. That was one of our good tangents. It was. It was, um, a, it was a good one. But uh, yeah, so back to kind of Hocus Pocus and I suppose the way that Disney kind of conducts itself with sequels. And I'm trying to think, is there anyone else doing sequels the way Disney's kind of doing them at the moment? Sequels slash reboots where it's like entirely based on the nostalgia? There, there's mean, probably some, but... Disney's bought them all, so it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, yeah. 
They've I mean, acquired everybody, so you're kind of going, I don't know who would independently be doing it anymore because they've acquired everybody. Oh, oh yeah, the new Lord yeah. of the Rings is a good example. Yeah, new Lord of the Rings, um, that's fair. And I think, you know, I've, I've, I'm caught up with Lord of the Rings again. Don't want to spoil I'm it. I'm still not watching still... it. Yeah, that's, that's fair. It's, um, it's interesting. It's the only way I can say it. It's interesting. Um, the... There's lots of it that doesn't feel Lord of the Rings, but I know that that's based on my attachment to the Peter Jackson trilogy. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's elements of it that I really like. I actually think the uh, the actress that's playing Galadriel, I think, is doing a really good job. Um, but I kind of take like it's it's doing that TV show thing where it's like they've spun up too many stories to the point where lots of plot line kind of feels like filler um mm-hmm. like we've not quite we've not quite got to the point where like the the last episode that came out is by far the most like streamlined it focuses very much on two aspects or like two characters or well two events from two different points of view that end up meeting um and it's is by far one of the best episodes that i feel like there's quite a lot of spinning plates uh mm-hmm. with the plot i'm enjoying it though like it's 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 good i sometimes it feels a little bit too polished in a way that um peter jackson's didn't and peter jackson's was extremely polished it was just not polished to the point of looking over polished yeah, i used I think, polished way I, too I many like, times i like there. the grunginess of the stephen jackson stuff I like how Peter. imperfect it looks because it looks like a realistic fantasy setting. But from what I've seen of the Lord of the, the you know the Rings of Power, it just looks very CGI to me, which is I mm. don't really enjoy that thing anymore. Like I, um, if it looks too uncanny valley, I'm not going to enjoy it because I will be spending all time going, why you know like where I'm one of those annoying fantasy fans who wants to know what crops you're using. I want to know why you know. How are they staying clean? Like it's it's things like that where I'm going right. Well, it, you know how are these things happening? And Lord, Rings of yeah. Power doesn't really do that. You know. Yeah, there's like um, there's. I'm I'm thinking back to like you know like the first kind of scenes of Hobbiton and like Lord of the Rings Fellowship, and you know you see. Um, you know, Merry and Pippin in like the farm and then they, they crash in and they tumble down the hill yeah. and there's like there's the dirty carrot and stuff like that. Maybe that's a extended edition uh, one. But like it's got that element to it where like The world uh, feels real. The world yeah, the world feels real and I feel like uh, again I'm en- I'm enjoying some of the stuff with uh, Lord of the Rings, um Rings of Power. It is interesting, but it's sometimes a little bit too polished for my liking and also sometimes a little bit too game of thrones for my liking yes um, everything's suffering from the game of thrones effication <laughs> yeah but the thing is it's it's fantasy being written by people who don't like fantasy mm. and i hate that and it's because it's popular and they're going well we're, we're trying to make it popular and it's going it is popular it's just not popular with the popular kids um yeah. so because it, it, the D&D, whatever their name was, the the did Game of Thrones, they openly talked about how they hated fantasy. And I'm like, why are you making a fantasy series if you hate it? Yeah. It's... I'm actually... I, I, like, I, 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 I really don't like this 
weird split between your either fantasy or your sci-fi. I feel like that's been imposed culturally. I don't think, like, I, you, you can enjoy both. Like, I, I think there's people who are maybe better at writing one or the other, but, like, I, I, I feel it's, it's, very, it's very strange for me when I see sci-fi versus fantasy discourse online because it's like, I like Mass Effect and I like Dragon Age. There's you know, a large part of it is pushback from when sci-fi and fantasy were lumped together as the same genre when they're mm. not. So that's a bit a large part of that pushback is it was a lot of people going, oh well, you know, for a long time it was sci-fi slash fantasy, and that's how the genre would be catalogued. Yeah. Um, and that the pushback for well, no, it's one or the other because I, I literally did my dissertation on the, you know the genre and how it evolved mm-hmm. and uh, and how. Fantasy is the mythology, and you know the 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 kind of the sci-fi becomes the parables, but par- parables about what you want to have happen. But um, a Did- lot of that <laughs> came from that, and now it's gone completely too far, and it's like, no, you're yeah. one or the other. It's going, no, that's not that's not the distinction. I mean, it's literally both. Yeah, you I did enjoy. <laughs> I did enjoy the me- the meme that many arts of night is put in chat. If it's coin, it's fantasy. If it's credits, it's sci-fi. <laughs> Which like, yeah, yeah it's good. And grey, sorry, uh, grey tree. I do agree that like, there's bits in Lord of the Rings where like it is incredibly sl- like slow. Like the stuff that's happening in like Numenor for the past couple of episodes has been like very, very slow. And I think the like again they're just they're spinning lots of plates because they've got to have reference to like all the, the characters there's the is the, the the prad foots or the proud foots mm-hmm. um which are you know kind of a uh, pre pre hobbits um are are part of it and i find some of that stuff a bit tedious but like you end up with some characters being way more fleshed out than the others Oh, the Harfoots, sorry. I'm thinking Proudfoots because I'm pretty sure that is a, a Hobbit surname. Um, but the... I, I don't... Yeah, I think that there, there's some areas that have been like really, really fleshed out because there was one or two episodes where um, the Harfoots don't actually make an appearance at all. And... Yeah, it's just... Again, the spinning plates thing because one, one of the problems... Like I suppose we've, we've spoken about this before, but like The Walking Dead ran into a massive problem with spinning plates because yeah. they had so many different characters and they just could not they could not do episodes with them all interacting. Um, it had to be you know, I think season three was probably the worst for it, where they were balancing like the the town and the prison. It was a pain. We're we're jumping across multiple TV shows now, um, but. Yeah, tangents I suppose. Tangents. Yeah, tangents within tangents. Um, so, what's your overall view of this second Hocus Pocus film? It's fun and enjoyable, but I will probably never watch it again. Um, mm. I am no longer the, the target audience for it, which is absolutely fair. I'm not a child anymore. But um, I think with Hocus Pocus 1, there were things that the adults could enjoy as well. And I think the only thing the adults can enjoy with this is Bette Midler going ham with the vocals yeah um, i and yeah i, I kind of thought that like again I, i've i've not been um surrounded by um hocus pocus fans for all my life but like i i <laughs> not like I, me. I i thought the singing in the first film was like fun 
but I, I didn't see it as like a core part of the cat. Was it? Was was that like? Was that the big thing in that film? No. Right. Um, it's the, just the, a f- the big the, thing was. I mean, because Bette Midler's not just a singer; she's obviously a singer and an actress. Yeah. But it was the the singing was a one scene. Only a one scene thing, and it was it wasn't the selling point for the movie. It was a fun yeah. thing. Where, oh look, we're letting these people go ham and they're singing and having fun. It's the thing that she was best known for. Yeah, and but it wasn't the main draw of the movie. The main draw of the movie yeah. was it's a fun Halloween movie. Uh, so um, for for those of you who like me, twenty four hours ago had never seen Hocus Pocus. There's a scene in the first film where there's like an this is Halloween and there's an adult Halloween party, all adults. So they're all like the mum and dad um, of the, of Max and the wee lassie um, are there and they're, they're dressed up. The mum's Madonna and the dad's a, a vampire. And um, the witches end up doing this kind of like musical number on stage where they, they sing a song, but throughout the song, they actually cast a, sw- a spell that gets all of the adults to essentially like, dance until they're dead. So they're just constantly <laughs> dancing for the rest of the night. Um, and it's, 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 it's fun, but it's, again, it's like, it's just a, it's just a way to make it so that the kids can't rely on any adults for the rest of the film. Like that's, that's the main bit. Whereas the, in the second film, and again, spoilers, but like the, they do it again. They just do it again. And it doesn't capture the, the fun of the, the scene from the first film. They just, they also start off with a song. As yeah. soon as they directed their singing, and I'm going, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And, um, and they sing in the end credits. So yeah. it's, it's like the, they, they've put way more weight on, the singing than the first film did, um, and I I don't I don't know maybe maybe there's a reason for that but it it didn't sound like that's what I knew the characters well, for. The, the witches were more popular than the the kid characters, which makes sense because the witches yeah. were fantastic in Hocus Pocus Books one, but it's really just a you know a kids film about the witches at this point. It's like I, I'm sorry I can't see who it was in the the comments. It was the difference between a family film versus a kids film mm. hocus pocus 2 really much feels like a kids film whereas hocus pocus 1 felt like a family film yeah. um and it's a subtle difference but it's a difference all the same um i i wonder how and again this might be kind of cynical but like i wonder how many how much disney is banking on people who do their yearly watch of hocus pocus finishing hocus pocus and going fuck it we'll just put on the second one like i think it's high I, I I reckon that like that'll get it viewed and it'll it'll earn its money that way. Um, we might as well watch the sequel, that kind of thing. Um, but you're you're not getting much because I I feel like it, it's not a it's not a f- completion of the story yeah. either. You know, like it doesn't feel like a story twenty nine years in the making from the first one. It's no kind of a repeat and like again um, I, I did notice this so they did try and get the young lassie from the first film back but she was obviously not so pivotal to the story that they really did need her because she was just mm-hmm. on another project and like I'm, I'm surprised there wasn't an, a, a greater attempt to try and get a cameo or even have it centred around her a wee bit more 
Um, you know what I mean? It, it just it seemed obviously the big draw is the three witches reprising their role, but yeah. there's apart from that there is no connection to the first film beyond a couple of references, and it tends to be the references that the witches are making themselves. Um, you know, there's a scene where they they come across a, the black cat in the in the witch shop, and they think it's the same immortal cat from the first film. Mm-hmm. And you, you know what, actually? Th- okay, I'm going to say it. I'm going to spoil it. Hocus Pocus 2 is missing a talking cat that cracks it jokes. Is. And that that was the thing that stuck out the most for me, actually. It was like, there, was, there wasn't there was that... Dy- like, there was obviously a greater... They gave that protag- role to Billy. Yeah, which wasn't... No, no. Wasn't no. the best choice. I love I love Doug Jones with um or Doug Jones Doug Walker. I've just completely blanked on his name. I... Um, Doug Jones. That was I. Yeah. Yeah. They they gave him a bigger role and he made it into a very um Captain Jack Sparrow character, which is not who Billy was in the original. I mean, we saw Bill- Billy was mostly silent for the the first because he had his mouth had... stitched together. <laughs> yeah, and then you had a couple of icon- iconic lines that happened and. But he wasn't a Jack Sparrow because he even copied the Jack Sparrow mannerisms. Which yeah, I thought was weird. It, it was it was very yeah. It was definitely leaning towards that kind of like Jack Sparrowiness, um, and then like he becomes a side character with the shop owner. Um, you'll yeah. notice I I don't know these people's names. Um, like the shop he, owner was Gilbert. Yeah, yeah, Gilbert the Great is what he called himself or something like yeah. that. So he's pretending to be a wizard who like knows about all the witches. Um, and he he's the tie-in to the first film. So he's, he's apparently one of the kids that was almost caught by the witches in the first film in back in 1993. And it just, I don't know. It's very... Um, I I just I thought it was quite weak. <laughs> it was, and it, so it's like it's a weak connection, and then the because he's a character, they have to try and do something with him, and that doesn't. The character that work. would have made more sense would be the mayor, who is supposedly the the descendant of the reverend. Like if they if they went to that whole trouble of giving us the Sanderson sisters' backstory and the the villain of the reverend, and then you find out that. The, the descendant is the current mayor of the town. Yeah. That would have been the logical tie-in. That would have been the logical either and, villain or whatever. But they didn't you, do that. It was just yeah. a kind of vague... You know, what, you know what would have made it... You know what would have made the film better? See if they'd actually just have the mayor playing the reverend at the start. That would have been a yeah. good enough link. Like, I, do, I don't see the reason why they needed a, another actor for that because he appears once and then doesn't appear again and that just having that like oh it's an it's an ancestor that looks exactly like the the person would have i don't know would have been a bit better but again it's kind of like a lot of the a lot of the jokes from the first film are repeated like there's a there's a lot of the witches discovering modern technology and there's a really really cheesy scene where they go into a supermarket and they're mystified by the automatic doors um 
and they think that the the wee lassie that's just went through the automatic doors must also have great power and Mm -hmm. then there's like there's so they go into was it a walgreens or something like that yeah walgreens And, and it's like the most like product placement a fucking sequence ever because they go into they go into like the the face cream body wash aisle and that's all the the potions um and it's i uh, just is terrible um excuse me i, I just i didn't I, I like i didn't i didn't like that scene at all like it's probably extreme like it's just forgettable um but the yeah they go around and do um like the, you know they're, they're joking they're picking up like they're picking up bottles of like anti-aging cream that have names like that's ah, a fucking tresemme or whatever and it's like tresemme is that the name of the child that was put into this cream and it's just very eh, i don't know yeah it was a very weird i i thought the bit with instagram filters was fun I thought that was mm-hmm. a good, like, oh, like, oh, look, the Instagram filter has de-aged us. This is how we really are. And it was a fun little dig at how unrealistic a lot of our current social media interaction is. Yeah, because there's, um, a, there's a bit immediately afterwards where they turn around and you've got the big circular mirror um, mm-hmm. that you see in a lot of stores. And it's like elongated their faces and, and all the rest of it. And they, they freak out and they say that the, the, the little box, the iPhone, uh, lied to us. <laughs> sorry i'm just looking at your dog looking up into your face um, she's very she's interested that she can hear you through my head then she keeps looking at me going who is that <laughs> who the hell is that shut him up um <laughs> but yeah the i like there's there's some there's some movies so like in the first film there's a a sequence where the there's like there's one missing broom um and they're in like a store and instead the one of the witches puts a hoover between her legs and is able to take off um and they kind of repeat that joke in in the second film um but this time um it's two roombas that she surfs on yeah which is and then she says cowabunga and i'm going she's yeah she said cowabunga i was like where are you getting that from they didn't unless they unless they watched teenage mutant ninja turtles in 1993 um but yeah, the one of the witches says Cowabunga in the film, and you're like, what? She's like, I'm surfing, man, Cowabunga. And I'm like... Yeah, so... Yeah, they... Like, it's is, it is, it is funny, and then... It's the a ru- fun scene, but it was like, just such an out-of-character thing to say. Yeah, it's... it's Even a joke take makes it into the movie. Eh, maybe, but... Yeah, it was, it was weird for them to keep Cowabunga in because the scene where she comes, like, they all come out the shop and one of them's grabbed, like, an actual broom and one of the other ones has, like, they've all, they've all gone down a level. So one of them has a hoover and the the this the other one comes out with two Roombas on her feet um, and, and takes off. And that's, like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a not bad joke. It's, like, it's good. Um... It's and, the logical adaptation of that joke. Yeah, and then there's probably a wee bit too long. I, obviously, it was kind of it was kind of a Chekhov's gun because they kind of they mentioned the Roombas too often for it not to have an impact on the story um, further down the line. Um, which, again, I, I, I feel like we, we have spoken about the entire film now, pretty much. Um, but hopefully, we've been. 
we've been patchy enough in our coverage of it that you can watch it and you'll be like oh yeah that's what they're talking about um but yeah it's like it's it's a fun watch is it as significant as the first film fuck no um it's no. nowhere near it i don't think it'll become a cult, a cult classic i think nah. it'll just be one of those kind of I was going to say a Disney sequel that dies away quietly. But, um, but I think uh, like, I think for me, that's that's what, to me, makes it so kind of cynical, I suppose. It's like, it's <laughs> it's not been designed with, like, lasting meaning <laughs> into the into the like the hocus pocus uh cinematic universe is is yeah. not a, it's not a film that's been designed with like great care this is the this is the fantastic sequel that came 29 years after the first film instead it's more of a um again i i, I can't describe it as a cheap cash in but it is lazy in its approach to a modern day take on it Mm-hmm. Um, definitely is uh, the story the, I think the story writing is what, what makes it that way because the visual effects are stunning it's yeah. not like other Disney sequels where it's kind of janky and you can tell that not a lot of effort has been put into it um, <laughs> put it this way it, 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 it almost looks like they paid the special effects team or the graphic design team uh, a wee bit um, it, do, it doesn't sound like they've pulled a Marvel no. Like, there was there was no like really atrocious uses of CGI, um, except maybe the bird, the weird bird. Um, yeah. There was like a weird bird on it. Um, a brief touch into politics, as Grey's mentioned. Exit poll in Brazil has Lula beaten Bolsa, Bolsonaro in just one round. Ooh, fingers crossed. Um, we want Bolsonaro out. Well, I do. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> So I didn't mean to apply. I didn't mean to imply that you didn't. I was more of a, I can't. I can't speak for we as everyone watching. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, again, Disney's approach to sequels and very much hanging on the coattails of nostalgia. Um, I I I think it is leading them to produce some utter garbage at the moment, and I don't think there's a single. Um, I don't think there's been like a single reboot or sequel that's been done. Like I'm just like I haven't I haven't seen Milan. I have heard atrocious things about their take on Milan. Um, I feel like that's maybe one that we could watch at some point, Joy, for the for this podcast. We it could. can be it can be another one of our movie ones. Um, we have a been we've had tons of people telling us to watch Arcane. Um, I got a little bit into the first episode and then stopped because I wasn't in the headspace for it but um arcane is definitely something that uh, people want us to talk about on stream you'll probably have to give us a wee bit of time for it though is the only thing yeah it um, takes a while to get through we'll it. have to we'll have to digest it and then we'll have to um kind of like understand it um and I'm, i i don't know anything about league of legends so i don't like yeah. i've been told i can what i've been told i can watch it with a knowing fuck all about league of legends i would like to keep it that way to be honest i don't want to touch league of legends with a barge pole i will watch arcane um but i i do not want to uh i do not want to deal with with that um 
So I'm saying have people what what is the comment that Hex is replying to? For some reason no. I can't click on it and hop. Have people told you to watch The Legend of Vox Machina? No. Um I, no. I've, I've, I've look, I've is is that another anime type thing or what Vox was that? Vox Machina is uh, based isn't it based on critical roles D and D campaign or whatever? All oh, right, okay. Um, I, I've seen Vox Machina. I enjoyed it. I have not felt the urge to watch it again. Um It's it's fun. It's fun. Okay. Um if if another one comes out I will probably watch it, but in the meantime I have no for whatever reason I have no inclination to watch it again. Um Cool. So <laughs> Right, I wonder if we want to talk about it. Yeah, I'm. I'll I'll watch it. I'm not watching Legend of Korra. I, I think that'll upset some people in chat. But um, I tried to watch Legend of Korra, and I, I I I've spoken about this before, but I really don't like massive time jumps in the same universe. Um, mm. I I I don't I don't I don't know what it is, but like I hated going from uh, it was probably because it was right after i finished watching avatar that i decided to jump to legend of Korra, and it was like the 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 cars and the built-up city with the skyscrapers was just worlds apart from like all the quaint wee towns and like very like i don't <laughs> medievals maybe the wrong word but like kind of like i don't know there was just something quite nice about the the setting of avatar and going from that to Legend of Korra was just a bit too much. Um, and then I, I like I looked up I like I looked up the the time jump, and apparently there's a section where like they managed to fool the the knowledge bird from the Last Airbender, like with like a radio or something like that. Um, and I was like, nah, nah, can I can I do that? I'm sure the characters would be lovely and they'd grow on me and all the rest of it, but they're like, nah, I just. Yeah, not, not really into all of that. Like again, just the the time jump thing's a bit weird. I like I actually really struggle with a lot of media that tries to straddle. Like, see a lot of like the kind of colonial type games. I really yeah. struggle with. Like, see Fable, like Fable, Fable Three in particular. Really hate it really like just don't like the world uh don't like the i don't know there's just there's something there's something about it same with uh, was it greedfall greedfall um, yeah couldn't couldn't get into greedfall on account of like i get that there's a bit of magic and i get that there's guns um and then of course you go over to that and oh you've got to you've got to talk to the tribe uh the the natives and and i uh, just nah. And then they make it so that you are part you are part native, so it's okay for you to do the things that you're doing. Uh, and it's no, like, I, I, I didn't. I didn't know. <laughs> like to be honest, I didn't. I don't think I remember getting to the the island uh, because I was doing like some of the side quest stuff, and it was just like nah, I just can't. Um, but yeah, I think my my time with Greedfall was very much uh, obviously the mark on your character's face means something like i could tell that right off mm-hmm. and i don't know i think like kind of what gray tree's saying in chat is like greedfall kind of gives you this weird ick um like I, I i don't i don't mind steampunk stuff uh but a lot of steampunk is 
not apologetic for colonialism, whereas what good steampunk should be should be an expo- exploration of how colonialism affects things, yeah. but it doesn't. It takes it as a jolly old empire. You know, it's it's very yeah. cringy for a lot of these these things. Um, and I say that as a fan of steampunk. There was a lot of originally very good steampunk that did explore these themes, but then it became about cogs and gears and jolly old Britannia, and it's like... Mm. Mm. To be honest, actually, I think that's one of the things that um, probably gives me the ick the most about, like, your kind of greedfall type thing is it very much is like cosplay British Empire. You get to be yeah. you get to be a noble who's a governor and you get to go out and it's just like, I don't know. But you can be feels, a good one. Yeah, yeah. You just, you, all you have to do is just treat the treat the natives right. And it's very, nah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of it. Um, I'm trying to think of... There was a there was a series of books that I read when I was younger, and there was the you remember Stardust, yes, the film, yeah, and the mm-hmm. and the book, um, but you know the you know the pirates in that the lightning pirates the yeah. lightning pirates is that steampunk is that count as steampunk? It, again, because it uses magic instead of science, it is gas lamp. Oh, it's gas lamp. Um, okay. And a lot of people don't understand get the difference between gas lamp and steampunk. Gail Carragher markets herself with steampunk. She is actually gas lamp because there is right. magic in her world. Steampunk is should be purely um science based, mechanical. Science based. Yeah, right, there shouldn't okay. be magic in steampunk. It should be science based. So your thing should not be powered by magic crystals, it should be powered by steam or I thought coal it was... or oil or but surely because it's lightning, does that not count? Can I lightning? Is that they, magic? They're flying through magic, though. Oh, right, are they? I thought they were flying because it was powered by the it, lightning. The way that they fly is the magic gets, the, the lightning gets sold to magic users. Yeah. is how it works. So it's the having the magic in the universe that makes a gas lamp. But steampunk is more marketable because more people understand what steampunk is. Um... Stardust was by Neil Gaiman and it got turned into a movie not too long ago. It's a star that falls to Earth and young hero goes on journey to claim star, falls in love and witches happen, basically. Mm. (laughs) Um, It's good. I I do like Stardust. um, But yeah, it is Gaslamp. It is not Steampunk. Neil Gaiman tends towards Gaslamp more than Steampunk. But again, Steampunk is more marketable. Right, Um, okay. So... Here, here's a, a book series that you may or may not have read. Have you ever read the Edge Chronicles? No. Right. Does anyone in chat uh, did I did I imagine this? The Edge Chronicles. Right. So there was like what was it? The Curse of the Gloomgloser was like the kind of pre one. There was like so it was a. It was like I don't know what they call it. Three trilogies. <laughs> what is three trilogies? Ah. <laughs> uh... I mean Chronicles, maybe I suppose, but it was, Chronicles, it, was, yeah. it was it was split into three trilogies, and um, the, no, it is <laughs> it is not not an erotica because it's called the Edge Chronicles. That's something else. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, there was there was these books called the Edge Chronicles, and I I was never sure if it was Gaslamp or if it was steampunk. I think it was steampunk, but there was like sky pirates and that. And um, there was, I I remember them being amazing. Because I I fucking devoured them as a kid, and now mm-hmm. I can't remember a single thing about them. Um, I remember there was like kind of 
evil bird people that went to war at the end. Maybe. Um, I'm looking at it and it looks more like Gaslamp to me just from the covers, from the marketing. Right, okay. Um, and also for fun fun terms, uh, a nine-part series is called an Enology. Enology? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so it was yeah called The Edge Chronicles. And to be honest, it was one of those series of books that was just really fucking good. Like... Uh, it almost makes me want to go back and explore them. And actually, holy shit, there was four trilogies. That's nuts. So and like it was, I think it was a fam, like it was a family. So there was the Quint trilogy, the Twig trilogy, mm. the Rook trilogy, and then the Cade trilogy, which I do not remember. So the Dodecology, apparently, according to this, damn, is what that would that would be. There's all these things I was not aware of because I've never gone above a certain number before but a series of 20 books is called an ecosology right okay because these are messing up with my speech there's <laughs> all these double p's and s's it's not going to work well for my well my speech problems <laughs> wait 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 until you hear that there's also a, like a chronological order <laughs> that is like yeah all over the place because you got like beyond the deep woods was the first one and that came out in 98 then you had Storm Chaser and Midnight Over Sanctifrax. Then you went back to like, I think it was Twig's dad. Uh, and then you hopped over to like another person. I was, I was fucking all over the place. I wasn't sure if it ended, but it looks like the, I mean, the last book came out in 2019. So I imagine it is ended because they were publishing it pretty consistently. Um, and there was a, there was a lot. There was, fucking loads um which is impressive um but yeah that was uh, a <laughs> that's sorry that was just a random fucking uh series of books that popped into my head like chronicles you've heard me talk about the chronicles of ancient darkness though that's mm-hmm. like that that's excellent if anyone has ever read the chronicles of ancient darkness say hi in chat um because like you know a uh, wolf brother and spirit walker and all the rest the world building in that is absolutely phenomenal. Um, it was a uh, was it fucking was it Michelle Paver that did them? I think so. I think it was. But Wolf Brothers, one of my favourite books. Um, and fun fact about that, but uh, every every year um, in primary school, there was a like a Burns competition where you had to recite Robert Burns poetry, um, and the first time I won that competition, uh, you got it coincided with World Book Day, and that was when like the big cabinets came in where it was like um, you could like go and buy books basically. But the winner got to select a book for free, um, and Wolf Brother was one of the ones that I picked up, and that's been like that was that's that's my story. But that was how I was introduced to the Chronicles of Ancient Darkness because I won a Burns competition, so it was kind of meant that to be. That was with Philip Pullman. What was it? Uh, Philip Pullman, the the subtle knife, which put me on his Dark ah, Materials trilogy. Nice. There was another one I read, and it was like it was very, very, very YA. Um, I'm, I'm, ah, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm like just looking them up now. Um, but it was Lord Loss, uh, by Darno Shan. Never heard that one. So Darno Shan, he did, uh, he did a vampire series, um that was made into a film i think there was a 
I, I, I want to say there's a recent film, but I don't think there was. But yeah, it was Darren Shan's like Demonata series, is what it was called. And That's it was, right. Yeah, it was like the most cursed up fucking shit ever. Like for for a young for a young boy reading about demons, like graphically ripping off the heads of like protagonists, is like not anything that you'd really read in a book up until then. Well, like some of the some of the to be honest, I, I almost want to reread them just to see if it's still the lands. Vampire's Assistant was the movie. Yeah, Vampire's Assistant. That was that. Um, I, I yeah, I get the feeling that like all of the all of the Darren Shan stuff's probably like I don't want to say aged horribly, but I imagine it bit of a gore fest. Yeah, like gore fest to the expense of storytelling. But like the Yeah, it's like I think every every night or something, um the the wee boy or whatever has to like battle uh battle a demon in a game of chess. Or something like that. He kills his family or some shit. I, I, I don't know how... I, I've forgotten how it works. But it was, it's another one of those ones where like, you read an entire series when you're young and it just embeds into your skull. Um, what, we, what we need is... We, we, don't, we don't need sequels from these. <laughs> what I'm saying no. is, Disney, don't sanitize... <laughs> don't sanitize the Demonata trilogy or... Quadrilogy. Can you imagine if they if they tried though, like if they give oh, the, God. the demons a, a relatable backstory that explains why they they murder children and their families <laughs> if they don't win chess. Yes, and oh yeah, sorry, that's it. So there was one that stood out, and there's a there's a book called Beck in this Demonata trilogy or quid. Fucking hell, there's no, it's not. There's ten books. It's not a quid trilogy at all. It's ten ten books, but it's the Demonata series, and um. There's one called Beck, and it takes place at like 400 AD during ancient Ireland's conversion from paganism to Christianity. And I I, I remember that one standing out. Um, it's it's equally cursed, but there's like there's just a lot of there's just a lot of stuff that goes on. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I think that there was a, there was a big a fun fun in that, but and when we were. <laughs> I say we. I, I'm aware that I'm ancient, but um, oh, I, when I was I younger, that. there was <laughs> there was a lot of that sort of uh, young adult fiction coming out at that time. Like I remember the the witches' child books. I don't know if anyone else remember them, and it was self insert. You were reading it in the first person, and it was about a girl being evicted from the UK somewhere, going to the colonies in in the US, and it was about how her witchcraft was. That a rings thing. a bell. Um, I've never been able to find it since and I, I, it feels like a fever dream because it was she ends up living with the Native Americans because they accept her witchcraft as opposed to the the Christian settlers it, it was a weird weird book mm. um, but I remember getting that at a scholastic book fair but I remember you could literally at one point you could stick your hand out and you can grab a a witchcraft or demon book from that thing and, and that led to the, the, the kind of the satanic panic we're currently dealing with Mm. Um, because you have all the kids that grew up with that are suddenly writing their own content and you've got you know all these um, parents that are suddenly concerned about oh I didn't read any of that weird stuff when I was that age and it's like well it's just fiction you know Um, but it's interesting to see how things like Stranger Things is so readily embraced by certain Mm. peoples and it's Full disclosure: I've not watched Stranger Things. I've I've not watched um, it either. I've been I've been kind of meaning to, but not really. Like, 
people have been telling me that it's a good watch, but I'm like, eh. I've just not gotten into it. It's, it's a lot of commitment for things I, a time I don't have. Mm. Um, but yeah, great tea, Scott. I can't help but enjoy how an hour talking with I shifts into <laughs> Joy's accent. It does. Um, I don't often get to use my accent anymore. But uh, it is... <laughs> this is... This is our weekly fix. <laughs> <laughs> this is me going... This is me getting my fix of my Scottish accent <laughs> and my weekly one for that. But... Um, yeah, it's weird to see the 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 shift in media and the, the fact that we're mm. currently dealing with a... Going back to Hocus Pocus 2, you have a very woke representation of witchcraft, which was not something I would have had as a child mm. at all. Like, you had, I had Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but it was nowhere near based on its earth worship, and it's not, you know, it was very much still fantastical zappy you know special effects magic whereas now you have literally in a story that's very camp witchcraft you have girls that are engaging with very much real world pagan spiritual sort of things like you could literally have walked into any magic store probably in salem and you would have got the same things for sale Mm. um so it's a really interesting how it's changed because when i was a kid it was weird and wrong to like the witchcraft stuff and now it's kind of like, oh, that's just trendy. That's just normal. Um, mm. But then you still have some people panicking over it. I dare say there will be some people still pearl culturing over the fact that it's, you know, a story about basically a teenage girl empowerment is what Hocus yeah. Pocus 2 is. Even though it misses the mark, that's what it's trying to do. Um, yeah. it's, it's, weird, yeah. it's weird seeing a kind of swing and a miss for that storyline. Because you're, you're right, it is absolutely trying to nail that like you know growing empowerment of the of the mm-hmm. the three characters like the three protagonists but it's it's very yeah it's very weak at the end it kind of i'm not saying it pulls its punches i think it doesn't know what it's actually aiming for but like it, and then yeah, it's also it messes... the, the end when they're going are the sisters really gone are they really gone i guess we'll never know and it's just like oh this is going to become another t- another 29 years they're fucking <laughs> Oh, no, does Bette Midler have another 29 years in her? I don't know how old she is in the film. She's 70 um, something now. Right, okay, we're probably calling she's it. She's ages with my mum, so that's. Um, not that if. Mum, you're not old if you're, if you're listening. <laughs> Perfectly young. <laughs> does, does the Discord do watch parties, is what Panny Corn is asking. Yes, we do intend on doing some uh, watch parties. I used to host SideTube ones. Um, SideTube, unfortunately, no longer works with a lot of things. Mm. We do occasionally have watch parties. We are, which brings us on maybe to something fun to talk about as we close. Mm. Um, for spooky season, myself and Mothman are going to be doing a lot of watch parties. So come, come join us. I will be posting about it a lot in my Discord, but also on... Um, the Tumblr as well. I'll maybe even drop a link in I's Discord if he's fine with me doing that, and we can just have a. a <laughs> no, that's banned. Me. Actually, how <laughs> dare you? Nah, I think no. There's probably a good time to uh, to wrap up. One thing I do want to mention though, and just because I, I've got another series in my mind that I'm desperate to shout out. In fact, I, no, fuck it. I've got two. There's Skullduggery Pleasant. Um, I'm not sure if anyone knows Skullduggery Pleasant, but it basically gave birth to a whole bunch of like horrible like memes because all of the covers are of like a uh, uh, skeleton man in a suit and a fedora and like a tie 
like with flames surrounding him and it basically gave all of the like the hard people um, or the people who see themselves as alpha you know like i don't concern myself with the opinion of sheep like you know you see those quotes beside the I- the flaming could very skull. much see that from this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's one of them. The other one was uh, Gone. Do you remember the Gone series? It was um, probably a bit too YE for you. After Gone series characters. Gone. I remember. The, I've seen. I remember the covers, but I didn't read them. Gone was a. Gone was fantastic. Gone was actually the probably the best book, but it was. Basically, everyone over the age of 16 magically disappears from this town. Um, and there's a giant dome, basically, and all like some some of the teenagers get superpowers and other teenagers don't, and then they all start killing each other. Um it, it was yeah, it was really good. <laughs> um but yeah, that's uh those are the, the kind of series that I, I went through. Um, of course, there's a whole bunch of other ones. Actually, I really like Knots and Crosses. If anyone has a chance to read Knots and Crosses, I would recommend it. That was my first... I'm now just looking all these up because I don't know any of these. So Knots and Crosses was really, really good. Um, and I think it was trying to turn into a series. Um, but it was Mallory you're not, Blackman. You're not talking about Mal- Mallory Blackman. I've read yeah. some of Mallory Blackman's stuff, yeah. Mallory Blackman's Knots yeah. and Crosses is fantastic is absolutely brilliant um and it was the first time i ever read like full-on sex scenes which as like a <laughs> as a teenage boy i was like i'm actually reading this for a change um mine's, well, i'm trying to think mine's was probably melvin burgess was the the time i read actual sex scenes intended for my age and it was all from the perspective of boys so it was mm. very jarring for me because it was melvin burgess is a very um nitty gritty dark author mm. um and a lot of it was drug use and dick jokes and all sorts of other stuff so that that was very strange yeah. for me to read that as the age i was at but, um, <laughs> for, sorry just for the everyone in chat knots and crosses as in like the x knots and yeah cr- you know not, 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 not the werewolf vampire thing crucifix near nipples um <laughs> But no, there's so yeah, that's uh, that is a thing. Apparently, it's now a TV series as well. There's a BBC adaptation, which I can imagine is horrible. Um, but, oh, it's the BBC. But, but the book is excellent, and I would really encourage anyone. It was like it's interesting. So it's Mallory Blackman, and it's a it's an alternative history where um, the black people or crosses. Uh, people rule over the white knots. That's right, baby. The whites are the underclass in this universe. Um, but it's quite interesting in that regard because it does look at kind of race dynamics and the end of segregation. Um, you know, the the knots, the white people start to mm-hmm. go to a, a cross school and there's the tension around that. And then there's a fucking terrorist organisation in it that are like fighting for not rights and it is very uh it's weird but like the it centers around kind of like two characters and they end up shagging i think and um i think so yeah yeah there's like i remember there's like there's a lot of i think it was like one one per book you got one um but it was like some pretty well described 
um, why teenage uh, heavy-handed sextings. Um, I remember reading was... um, Blackman's Pickheart Boy. That is what I remember from Mallory Blackman was Pickheart mm. Boy, um, which is I think it's the um, the story of a heart transplant. I think oh. possibly I might be remembering it wrong. Um, the viral, yeah, described as Guardian is a powerful story. It shows the life of a teenage boy with a viral heart transplant. Um, and okay. it's, it was a, I remember the, the children's BBC because it aired at the same time as the Queen's Nose. Um, I'm, I'm sure that just sounds like gibberish to all the Americans <laughs> watching or listening in. Yeah. But um, I remember Pigheart and it was the boy was kind of dying from his thing and his family finds out they're pregnant with another baby. And um, it, it was a very, Blackman wrote a lot of, still does apparently, looking at her her bibliography, but it's a very kind of, um, at the time it was incredibly diverse for what was available in the UK for young adult from a mainstream publisher. Yeah. I mean, like, so putting the the plot of the drama, I'm not sure if this is still the case in the, the books, but the plot of the TV series series takes place in present-day London in an alternative history where 700 years prior, several nations in West Africa combined to form the powerful African Empire and colonise Europe. After the conflict known as the Great World War, control of Europe is split between different African nations, with mainland Europe under the control of the Malian Empire and the Moors, whereas Albion, comprising of Great Britain and Ireland, and parts of Scandinavia remain under the thumb of the African Empire. And it's like a completely different alternate thing. Um, I can't believe it's called Albion. That makes me want to throw up a little bit, but hey. Um, but yeah, honestly, if, like, it, it, again, it's quite YA, but at the same time, I reckon it could stand up today easily. It's a really good book. Um, all history yeah. is a fun genre. It's literally the only way I can play Hearts of Iron Four. I can't. I can't. I can't play Hearts of Iron Four normally because uh, I get bored. Instead, I go. Well, what would happen if um, Scotland broke off midway through? Uh, nah, I try not to. Uh, that's how I think. That's pretty much how Mothman plays um, the Crusader Kings games. Uh, yeah. That's uh, like, pretty much how he plays. There's, there's a horrible, like, if you check out my uh, In Defense of Scottish Gaelic video, there's a really bad joke in about, like, I think the first kind of 10 minutes where I I played, I, I don't know why I didn't just hack my way to kind of victory here, but I, I was playing to get footage for this video and I played 173 hours of a campaign to turn the entirety of the world into Scotland. There was not a single other, like, country on the map. And I, like... But the problem is, is that you couldn't turn Americas into Scotland. So you had to... Like, you had to colonise sections of America. So I ended up with things like Al Albasca and, like... I think it was California and like Spiru. I was just, just uh, so uh, uh, I was like, uh, Sexico was one of them. Um, and yeah, Scotland down under. Cause apart, like you couldn't, you couldn't colonize, like you couldn't take ownership off. I think you had to just like straight up uh, do it. And I was like, look, this is, this is what would happen if everyone in Scotland spoke Gaelic. Um, we'd take over the world naturally. Um, that's a joke, by the way. Uh, 
<laughs> right, okay. And with that, um, do you want to wrap up, Joy? Yeah. Um, thank you as ever for listening and watching. Um, if you are currently with us in the chat, don't go anywhere. You still get an extra 10 minutes of chatting time with myself and I. Um, but yeah, thank you as ever for watching. I hope you enjoyed our tangents within tangents <laughs> about Hocus Pocus 1 and 2. And hopefully see you next week. Cool. See you later, folks. Hope you have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.